Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, and I am so happy to be a part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we are all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Drought continues to expand across Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. From West Texas, I'm Eddie Griffiths. We'll talk about progress of harvest, and cooler temperatures. Pasture and forage improvements on new property. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with a look at news headlines. For the fourth straight week in a row, drought expanded across Texas. Moderate or worse drought now covers 40% of the state. That is up four percentage points from last week. According to the Texas Water Development Board, exceptional drought has spread and covers about 5% of the state. That is the highest it's been since October of 2015. The National Weather Service forecasts drought will cover the majority of the state by the end of January. The exception is far east Texas along the Texas-Louisiana border. Sign up for the second phase of the coronavirus food assistance program is now underway at Farm Service Agency offices. Farmers and ranchers have until December 11th to file their paperwork. You may want to call ahead as appointments may be required. The Environmental Protection Agency is now accepting comments on its proposed interim decision on the pesticide Paraquat. Paraquat is a restricted-use pesticide used on more than 100 crops, including cotton, corn, and soybeans in the United States. EPA's proposed interim decision includes eight proposed label or regulation changes for Paraquat use. They include prohibiting pressurized handgun or backpack sprayer use, requiring enclosed cabs if the treated area is 80 acres or more in a 24-hour period, requiring a residential buffer for drift, and a seven-day restricted entry into for desiccated cotton. EPA is accepting comments on the proposed interim decision on regulations.gov through December 22nd. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Very high placements of cattle into feedlots are swelling those feedlot inventories to numbers not seen in at least 24 years. USDA Livestock Analyst Shale Shagum takes a look at some of those numbers from Friday's Cattle on Feed report. Producers placed uh, just over 2.2 million head of cattle on feed during September, which was about 6% above a year ago. They marketed just over 1.8 million head, which was also 6% above a year ago, but this reflects an additional slaughter day. If you make the adjustment for the additional slaughter day, marketings during September were actually up about 1%. The on-feed number on October 1st was 11.7 million head, which was almost 4% above a year earlier, and the highest uh, October 1 inventory number since the series began in 1996. 
Jackham says one big reason for that is deteriorating pasture conditions around the country, as well as the fallout from COVID-19. The cattle industry frequently gets blamed for contributing to global warming, but that just isn't the case, according to Dr. Frank Mitlerner with the University of California, Davis. He says the cattle industry has done a great job of reducing its carbon footprint and is actually reaching a point of greenhouse gas neutrality. What I mean by that is that I believe that beef is on the way, on its way in this country to become climate neutral, not having any negative impact on climate. Mittlerner says that's possible because cattle emit methane, a gas that stays in the atmosphere for a relatively short period of time. So methane, within 10 years, is converted into CO2. That's where methane goes to. That's where the carbon in methane comes from, and that's where the carbon in methane goes to, CO2. In other words, the carbon in methane is not new carbon, it is recycled carbon. It was in the atmosphere, it went into plants, then it became methane. After 10 years, it's converted back into CO2 in the atmosphere, and it goes around and around and around. And that's very different from fossil greenhouse gases. So remember, the biogenic carbon cycle with which our cattle produce methane does not add additional new carbon to the atmosphere, and hence it does not add additional new warming to the atmosphere. Mittlerner says the variable in the equation is the number of cattle, and here in the U.S., our cattle herd has been shrinking since the 1970s. Mittlerner made those comments at the recent Texas Cattle Feeders Association's virtual convention. Harvest is moving forward on the southern plains of Texas while those cold temperatures have moved in. Eddie Griffiths reports from the Lubbock area. In West Texas, harvest is well underway. Lots of cotton acres have been harvested, still quite a few acres to go. We have gone from upper 90s to getting down to fall-like temperatures here in the past week or so maybe some moisture creeping back into the forecast. We have been pretty much without any moisture for the past month and a half to two months. Now we're starting to see some fog roll back in and possibly some type of moisture coming into the area in the coming weeks that could slow harvest down. Producers have tried to get a jump on any possible moisture by getting those harvest aids out on the crop. We'll start seeing a lot more spraying going on here in West Texas, especially on the cotton, as we get closer to freeze to try to get all those bowls open, as many as possible, before strippers hit those fields. But trying to get to full maturity and get as much lint and cotton out of those fields as possible before a freeze. Our average freeze date in West Texas for killing that cotton in all the crops is usually around October 30th. That could be extended out into November if we do not get a freeze in the next week or so. As far as the cotton that has been harvested, looks like yields are decent. Not as good as what we would like to see in West Texas, but the quality on some of this earlier cotton has been pretty good. But as we move forward towards the end of October, looking forward into November, we can see a lot of this crop out here in West Texas, whether it be cotton, corn, sorghum. These crops have matured rapidly, especially with all the heat we've accumulated over the summer and fall. So again, harvest underway here in West Texas. Things are running full speed at this point. So hopefully by the time we get to Christmas, most of this crop or all of this crop will be out of the field. 
from West Texas. I'm Eddie Griffiths. There are several things to be aware of when improving forages on rural property. Tom Nicoletti has another visit with a College Station rural real estate expert. Site selection is one factor people need to consider when planting forages and establishing pastures on new property they may have purchased. Tyler Jacobs, broker partner with Hall & Hall, joins me again today. He outlines what new buyers of property need to be aware of to maintain long-term value of their rural property. Besides site selection, uh, Tyler, let's talk about quality over quantity. What do you mean by that? Well, one of the other mistakes you see made is people think that planting more acreage is better, and that's not necessarily true. At the end of the day, when, when everything is done and, and you're utilizing those pastures and you're managing them for your purposes, what you'll find is you'll be better off managing smaller number of acres to a higher degree than a larger number of acres to a lower degree. So you're better off having five well-managed acres where you've got great establishment, great fertility, great production than 50 poorly managed acres because the landowner only has a certain amount of dedicated resources. So this is particularly true when it comes to hay production, such with improved varieties of Bermuda grasses, or in other contexts where you need to manage brush species. You're always better off doing a smaller amount of acreage better than a larger amount of acreage poor. You'll be happier with the results and you'll enjoy that resource a lot better. And then there's long-term maintenance. And this ties into the, to the previous two points. So the better soil I'm planted on, the more resources I can afford to put into those acreages. So when we go in and, and you're making this establishment decision of how you're going to do this, you really need to not just be thinking about what it's going to cost you that year to establish that. But you need to think about what it's going to cost to maintain that stand of improved grass for the coming years. And a lot of times we go to a pasture that the seller is kind of bragging on, hey, this is my improved pasture. And if it's Bermuda grass, it's got kind of invasive natives kind of growing up in it because they hadn't spent the money on the fertilizer to maintain it. Or on the other side, if it's a native stand, you see the brush coming back in it, right? Those are things you see a lot. So really consider when you're laying that out, long term, can I dedicate the resources to that pasture that I need to, to justify what I'm fixing to spend to plant it? The better soil you plant it on to begin with, and the better you prep that soil and plan for that and the acreage amount, I think the more success you'll have in the long term. Yes, uh, site selection, quality over quantity, and long-term maintenance, all of these impact the eventual long-term property value. Absolutely. Again, you know, when you pull up and you see that beautiful, lush, well-managed pasture, it's always an asset to the property and therefore valuable to the next owner. Those comments again from Tyler Jacobs. He is with Hall & Hall Partners LLP from College Station. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Hunters play a critical role in helping to stop a pest that could really hurt the horse and cattle industries. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. If you raise calves, there are some calf diseases that can transmit to people. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells you which ones to look out for coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Raising calves can be fun, but there are some calf diseases you need to watch out for because they can transmit to people. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice on which ones to look out for. Diseases that can transfer from animals to humans is called a zoonotic disease. Dr. Jeff Bender from the University of Minnesota indicates in Bovine Veterinarian that although dairy farmers have a unique affection for the animals they raise, kissing calves is not a good idea. The Centers for Disease Control indicates in 2017 there were 59 outbreaks of zoonotic diseases that led to over 1,500 reported illnesses, over 300 hospitalizations, and even three deaths. And about two-thirds of these diseases were from livestock and poultry operations. There certainly is a higher risk of these diseases if you live or work on a farm, as people were eight times more likely to get a zoonotic disease on the farm versus living in a non-farm area. As far as calves are concerned, bacterial infection with Salmonella Heidelberg caused an outbreak in 2018 across 15 states and caused 56 human cases. The disease in humans led to diarrhea, fever, and stomach cramps. Another disease called Campylobacter is highly infectious in children less than one year old and can cause severe diarrhea. It is usually associated with drinking raw, unpasteurized milk. E. coli is another bacterium found in calves that can affect humans and can lead to bloody diarrhea, kidney failure, and even death in children less than five years of age. It is believed 20% of herds are positive for E. coli and 75% of the calves taken to a Minnesota County Fair in 2006 were positive for E. coli. Almost all dairy farms have the protozoan Cryptosporidium parvum that can lead to diarrhea in children. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas hunters can also help protect the Texas cattle and horse industries. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Hunters play a critical role in helping to prevent the spread of a pest that could greatly impact the cattle and horse industries. That's why people who harvest white-tailed deer, nilgai antelope, black buck, axis deer, or other exotic cervids in parts of Cameron, Jim Hogg, Jim Wells, Hildago, Maverick, Star, Webb, Willisey, and Zapata counties must have their take inspected for cattle fever ticks by the Texas Animal Health Commission or the U.S. Department of Agriculture before leaving those areas. Dr. Muzaffar McDoomey, Laredo Region Director for the Animal Health Commission, joins us with more. It's totally okay to skin the hides on the property, but we strongly recommend to put a tarp on the ground before skinning the animal. That way, we'll be able to gather fever ticks on the tarp that fall off during the skinning process. Additionally, the hunters can store the hide in a trash bag for us to be able to treat it without spreading fever ticks. Failure to get a deer or other cervid inspected for cattle fever ticks before leaving the quarantine zone could lead to a fine. It would be an L2 level offense, and that would incur an administrative penalty, which would range from $150 to $300 if it's the first offense. Repeat offenses will incur an administrative penalty of up to $1,000. 
Cattle fever ticks can carry Babesiosa bovis or cattle fever. Cattle fever attacks and destroys the animal's red blood cells, causing acute anemia, high fever, and enlargement of the spleen and liver. It ultimately results in the death of up to 90% of susceptible naive cattle. A map of the quarantine areas and phone numbers you can call for those inspections are available on the Texas Animal Health Commission website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle futures closed in positive territory finally, and the cotton market continues to hold those big gains thanks to weather concerns. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures saw a positive close Tuesday and a welcome change of pace. We ended up closing higher in both live and feeder cattle. Here's a rundown of the prices. October live cattle up 87, 104.85. The December up 65, 104.05. February live cattle up 62 at 107.02. Feeder cattle higher with October up 60 cents, 134.30. November feeders up $1.72, 132.30. January feeder cattle up $1.65. 12842. Let's step over to the cash markets now. Cash fed cattle trade still quiet on Tuesday. No sales reported. Really aren't finding any bids from the packers or asking prices from the feedlots. We do have the Wednesday online fed cattle auction coming up. Maybe that will get things kicked off for the week. Boxed beef prices mixed. Choice down 29, 207.54. Select up 55 at 189.04. Let's check some feeder cattle auctions now. We'll go to Nixon, Texas. Nixon Livestock Commission selling 1,436 head this week. The trend steady to lower. Two to three weight steers, 121 to $1.57. Three to four weight steers, $1.22 to $1.85. Four to five hundred pounders, $1.17 to $1.83 a pound. Five to six weight steers, $103 to $142. Six to seven weights, $0.98 cents to $1.22, with seven to eight weight steers bringing $93 to $1.14 a pound. Slaughter cows range from $0.17 to $0.64. Cents. Slaughter bulls, $63 to $85. Stocker cows, $600 to $960 a head. Cow-calf pairs, $500 to $1425 a pair. Live Oak Livestock Auction, Three River. Texas, 1,620 heads sold this week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.28 to $1.76. 
Three to four weights, $1.18 to $1.62. Four to 500 pounders, $1.12 to $1.52 a pound. Five to six weight steers, $1.02 to $1.36. Six to seven weights, $94 to $1.28, with the seven to eight weight steers bringing $86 to $1.22 a pound. Slaughter cows, 20 to 54 cents. Slaughter bulls, 56 to 80. Stocker cows, 525 to 1050 ahead. Cow calf pairs, 615 to 1125 a pair. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs close mixed. December down 10, 67, 65. February hogs up 40, 68.05. Class 3 milk was lower. October down 2, 21.61. November milk down 50 cents, 22.26 a hundredweight. The cotton market closed mixed. Of course, we continue to get support from weather. Here in Texas, out in the Panhandle, we're dealing with some ice and cold weather on the cotton crop that's still in the field there. We're seeing wet weather in the mid-Atlantic states. And, of course, we have another hurricane out there in the Gulf, scheduled to hit the Gulf Coast on Wednesday. That storm may bring some unwanted rain to that Delta and Southeast cotton crop. We ended up closing with December cotton down 21, 71, 90. March cotton up a point. 72.73. Kansas City wheat futures closing lower, feeling pressure from the wet conditions that we just mentioned. We're seeing moisture and snow throughout much of the winter wheat growing areas of the United States, also over in Russia. We've been watching that forecast, their seven-day forecast, turning out wetter than expected. So that's pressuring wheat prices. December Kansas City wheat down two and three quarters, five forty-nine and a quarter. New crop July wheat down three, five sixty-six a bushel. Corn was slightly lower. December corn down one and three quarters, four sixteen a bushel. In the energy markets, November natural gas unchanged at 303. December crude oil up 91 cents, 39.47 a barrel. The financial markets mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 222 at 27,463. The Nasdaq up 72, 11,431. The S&P 500 down 10, 3,390. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to check with us again tomorrow. We'll be right here waiting to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.